and there were those who didn't like him. You know, it was one of the, it was that kind of situation. The ones that didn't like him, uh, they were trying to set him up. That's what they were trying to do. They're trying to set him up in order to discredit him. They wanted to cause tension. Is what they wanted to do. Conflict within the people, so that people say, "Well, I really don't like him," or "You know, I really do like him," kind of thing. So before the sun was set the next day, Jesus would be approached by four of the major groups of that day, religious and political groups of that day, uh, and some of the greatest debaters in those groups. Now, we call them spin doctors today. They're not called debaters anymore, are they? Spin doctors. And I bet you can, you can turn on a, uh, a, a debate or something like that, and you can pick out already you know what they're going to do. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious, uh, you know, they're going to spin it. They're going to spin it their way, the way they want it to look, and then they, in order to make them look great. And that's what these guys were trying to do. See, they were losing something. Jesus was taking their power base away from them. They didn't like that. He was, he was relinquishing to them of their power. See, he, he did not have a personal agenda. He wasn't seeking out some kind of personal agenda, something that uh, would make him look good, make him, make them, uh, you know, for the, like they wanted, something that would make them feel good and look good, that kind of thing. And so what they got to do is they got to make him look bad. And that's what they're going to try to do. Well, let me tell you this. Don't ever try to outsmart Jesus. Don't ever try because it won't work. Even Festus Hagen would agree to that. Well, today's reading focuses on two of the four groups that Jesus is going to encounter over the course of the next day or so. These groups are called the Herodians and the Pharisees. Now, they're an interesting bunch. Uh, we, we, not know, we don't know a lot about Herodians, but everybody here has heard of the Pharisees, right? You know. Well, the Pharisees were what you would call a pro-Jew a pro kind of uh, group of people. They were... Uh, they were all, they would be what you might call anti-Roman. They didn't like being under domination by the Romans. And then there's the, there's the Herodians. The Herodians, we don't hear that, a lot about them. We don't hear about them much, but we do know in the word Herodian, there's the word Herod. So we know King Herod, and uh, Herod was a puppet of the Rome, you know, of Caesar. That's what he was, so. And... They didn't, and so the Rhodians, they liked, they were pro-Roman. So we got pro-Roman and anti-Roman groups here. And it was, they, they disliked each other. Well, you could imagine that. I mean, you can see how that would be a big, that would be a big thing. They, it, it said, if you read in some of the history books, it says they don't even walk on the same side of the street together. That's how much they loved each other. Yet today they're, they're uh, coming together as buddies. <laughs> You've got these two groups coming together that won't even speak to each other. Why? Well, Jesus is upsetting their power base. He's taking power away from all of them. they got to do something about that. They don't want to lose their power. They don't want to lose that. And so they got to do something about it. They've got to do something fast. So how are we going to catch him? we got to... You know, we got to catch him is what we got to do. And so the question is, they're, they're going to pose to him is this. And I like how they do it. 
sort of like watching the debates on television. <clears throat> Jesus, now we know you're a truthful man. You know that you're one who teaches the ways of God in accordance with the truth. And Jesus, we know this. You're, you don't respect, you're not a respecter of, a, of persons. You treat everybody the same. You're a good man. Let me ask you a question, Jesus. Will you tell me this? Is it right for the Jews to pay the 2% census tax to Rome? That was the question. It was a loaded question. They set him up. See, if he said, yeah, it's okay to pay the tax, then the Jews aren't going to like him. The Pharisees will say, he's not for us. And if they say, no, they shouldn't pay the tax, then they're going to go to Herod and say, Herod, you got a, you got an instigator here. You need to do something about it. Do you see how they're setting him up? What does he do? Well, he reads right through them. You know, maybe you can pull the wool over some people's eyes, but you can't hear. Don't even try. It won't work. What does he do? Well, he sort of lays it out pretty straightforward, doesn't he? He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. That's what you are. You don't really care about the question. The question's not the issue. The question is, how do I keep my power base? See, God's message was liberating. Man sometimes for their own personal gain will oppress people. Jesus wasn't oppressing anybody. He was freeing people. When people liked it, they were following him. Well, here's what really amazes me about this story <clears throat> as I think about it. You know, he could have turned this debate off just like that. Here's how he would have done it. All he had to say was, well, I'm a resident of Galilee. I don't live in Jerusalem, so I don't pay the tax, so I'm really not, don't want to comment about it. Doesn't that sound like something you hear today? He doesn't do that. Instead, he turns it into a teachable moment. I appreciate that. Now, I would just about imagine, I don't know, maybe there's 30 or 40 people around, around him that day listening to what he had to say, but you know, in 2,000 years, how many people have heard this story? that he's impacted. Billions. I mean, the entire church today, 1.4 billion Catholics, it's our reading for this Sunday's Mass, isn't it? See, he's going to teach us something. He's going to teach us about our relationship between government and God, our civic life and God and our relationship to God. What does he say? Give to Caesars what's Caesars. And give to God what's God. Give me a coin, he says. Whose image is on that coin? Give to him what's his. Give to God what's God's. Man, did he turn the tables on them. They didn't know what to do. Uh, these, were the, these were the great spin doctors. You know what? He embarrassed them so much that the gospel says specifically that they never tried to to make him mess up again. They said, we ain't doing that again. He may, he's leaving us. We're the ones that are looking bad on this. Well, that's Jesus for you. Don't ever try to outsmart Jesus. It won't work. Now, let's take just a moment to look at how the church has interpreted Jesus' instruction on civic life. Because it's important. 
first thing is this. We are to spread the light of the gospel in all areas of civic life. To spread it. To spread it. To, I, I like to light it up with the light of Christ. That right there. Light it up with the light of Christ. There's nothing more beautiful than to live the kingdom of God as Jesus laid it out for us. Nothing more beautiful than that. And you and I as the people of God are called to bring that into civic life. Now a lot of people today, some people today, they say, well, they're, they're two separate things. We don't mess with civic. Well, yes, we mess with civic life. We're involved in it because we're part of this great nation. We're part of this government, aren't we? And we're called to make it better, to improve it, to make it better for all of society. And we can do that. Let me ask you a question, just think about it. What would our nation be like today if our nation lived by the rules of the kingdom of God? Would it be different? Would we have all the racism, the hate, the murder, you know, the greed? Would we have those things if we were living the king, you know, the message Jesus was preaching? If we took the power base away from these others and, uh, you know, had their personal agendas and we, and we truly were out for the good of the people, do you think it'd make a difference? What about the world? If we were living the world was living the gospel message, the kingdom of God, would it make a difference? Would there be a war in the Middle East this morning? No. Would, be, would, be, would we be worried about nuclear weapons this morning? No. Would we, we try to be feeding everybody? Yes. Giving everybody some sense of quality. Well, sure we would. That's what we're called to do. We're called to bring the gospel into civic life. It's our responsibility. How do we do that? You know, it's a pretty big, it's a great nation. It's, there's a, it's a pretty big nation, isn't it? I mean, I'm just one person. What could I do? Do you know this? There are 40 million registered Catholic voters in the United States. Just 40 million. Um, that's 25% of all voters. That's quite a few, isn't that what you think? I think it is. What would happen in our society if that 40 million came together and resolved to, in solidarity with one another, to vote to usher in the kingdom of God into the areas of our government, to listen to what the Lord, you know, what the church teaches us about life. What would this world look like? Well, it'd be different. One person does make a difference. Remember that. One person does make a difference. There's no doubt about it. Some of the things that we talk about today, they just seem, all they do is frustrate us. Think if we just sort of bypassed all that and we were able just to focus on bringing in the kingdom of God in the lives of people. Wouldn't it be a great place? Wouldn't you want to live there? 
Wouldn't you be proud of that? Of course you will. Well, there's 40 million of you out there. See, that's something you can do as a sign of solidarity. And when we do that, we can focus on the weightier issues of life, like loving people, taking care of people, doing good in the world. We are called to spread the light of the gospel. The second thing is that our highest obligation is to give our lives to our maker. Now, this is a very interesting one. I like what Jesus did. He said, where's the coin? Show me the coin. I want to see the coin. Show me the coin. Here's the Roman coin. Whose, whose face is on that? Caesar's face is on it. Whose name's on it? See, whose image is on that? That's what you and I, see, he said, Caesar's image is on this. You give that to him. It belongs to him. God's image, things that has God's image on it, you give that to God. Church, let me ask you a question. Now, we, you know, we do, we do put in God we trust on our money. We do do that. But what in this world is stamped with the image of God that belongs to God? Is it money? It's you. God made you in his what? Image and likeness. Oh my God, his image is stamped on you. That means give your life to God. Give your life to God. His image is on you. And you know what's powerful about that? His image is on all of humanity. If humanity would just listen to that, give to God what belongs to God, think about how great that would be. Isn't that wonderful? That's what you're supposed to give because you belong to God. God is your creator. God is your maker, isn't it? The third thing is our highest allegiance is to God. Read Romans 13. It's beautiful. Paul talks specifically about government and our responsibility in relationship to government. It's great why we, why we need to uh, pray for our leaders, why we need to support and encourage them. And we're taught to do that, aren't we? It's a great nation. It's a great nation, you know? Um, but we have a responsibility. We have obligation to pay taxes. We have to do that. Um, you know, we have, the, we have to exercise the right to vote. We have to defend our country. All those things are important. We're citizens of this great nation, but we're also citizens of this nation, the heavenly nation. And that's where our first priority comes. Now, in most situations, there's never conflict between the two. You know? And a lot of that has to do with those who created our government, who came over here and started our government for the purpose of freedom of religion. That's, that's a very important thing. But there will come those times, there has come those times when the two are in conflict with each other. Now we've seen that recent, in recent years in life 
in issues that have to do with respecting life. Respecting life. And the question then becomes, what do we do? Which one do we do? We do what the government tells us, we do what God tells us. Well, our allegiance, our highest allegiance is to God. We do what God tells us. That's what we do. And whatever cost that is, that's, that's what we do. Um, I like what the catechism says. The, citizen, the, the citizen is obliged in conscience not to follow the direction of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order. That's sort of the natural law. That's the law that never changes to the fundamental rights of persons or the teaching of the gospel. That's our responsibility. Well, God bless all of you, and be sure to vote Tuesday, November the 7th. It's almost here, isn't it?